we'd probably give you a treat anyway if you miss one or two, but try hard, okay? Listen close. I'm sure you've heard this expression, the handwriting is on the wall. Have you ever heard that? The handwriting is on the wall. It usually means certain doom is, that, uh, is coming, right? It's kind of like the fourth quarter and you're 40 points behind. The handwriting is on the wall. You're going to lose. I'm used to that with my team this year. We started zero and three. Handwriting is on the wall for this entire season, I think, but... You've had uh, three bad performance reviews at uh, your work, and they're giving you assignments that nobody else wants to do. The handwriting is on the wall. You're about to get fired. Did you know that that story, that phrase comes from a story in the book of Daniel, right? And it's our scripture today, Daniel, the fifth chapter. We're in this series of messages called Unshakable, uh, Thriving, No Matter What Hits You. And uh, today we're going to look at this uh, chapter 5, and I want to give you the whole story in a nutshell here at the beginning, and then we'll make some comments about it. King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, if you go back in the previous chapter, uh, he's dead now, okay? And uh, Belshazzar is king. Some say he's the son of Nebuchadnezzar, some say he's grandson. I think we just ought to go with son today, okay? Is that all right with you? Yeah, okay. Uh, But he thinks that being king... It's supposed to be one giant continuous party. Now, if you were king, you wouldn't have thought that, would you? Right? Yeah, he does. He is a typical party boy. That's the first word on the card, okay? Just giving you time to catch up, kids, all right? He is a typical party boy, and his power has totally corrupted him. The scene is in chapter 5 is that he is throwing a party for a thousand of his closest friends, and everyone is getting plastered, and he comes up with a very bad idea. He tells his friends that when his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had conquered Babylon, Babylon, he uh, conquered Jerusalem and brought them all to Babylon, he took out the gold and the silver vessels from the temple that had been used in the Jewish worship, and uh, they were here in storage. And the king, Belshazzar, said, I think we just ought to go get those and really have a party. And let's drink our wine from those Jewish goblets. And so they did that. And while they're drinking, they praised the gods of silver and gold and mocking the god of the Jews. And as they're doing that, and they're drinking this wine out of these Jewish gold and silver goblets, this hand appears, and it begins to write on the wall. That's right, just a hand. What does that remind you of? I know you're thinking it, the thing, right? The thing from the Adams family. Right? And the king sees this supernatural event (laughs) and he just loses it. It says his face turns white as a sheep. Can you imagine? His face turns white as a sheep. His knees began knocking together and it says his hips went slack. You know what that means? 
That's the biblical way of saying he wet his pants. Hey, I put it on the card, okay? He immediately wanted to know, what does this mean? What does this writing on the wall mean? But he went to all of the smart people he could find, and none of them could tell him what it meant. And then the the queen comes in, and she remembers this guy, Daniel, who could help him out. She said, this Daniel has the Spirit of God in him, and he's filled with the wisdom of God. You read that, and you go, man, it'd be nice to be known like that, wouldn't it? So Daniel comes in, and the king tells him that, uh, Daniel, if you can tell me what these words on the wall mean, I'm going to give you this great big promotion. I'm going to give you all these fancy gifts. And uh, Daniel says, you can, just keep, you can just keep all your gifts, and I'll, I'll just tell you what it means. And Daniel begins by setting up the translation and what he's going to say by saying, you know what happened to your father, Nebuchadnezzar. You saw what happened to him. You saw that his pride got the best of him and and the Lord God intervened and he became like a cow and he was out in the field eating grass like a cow for seven years and You saw that. You saw what pride does. Then he says this to King Belshazzar, reading from verse 22. Yet you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all of this. But you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, have been drinking wine from them. You have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze and iron and wood and stone, which do not see, hear, or understand. But the God in whose hand are your life breath, in all your ways you have not glorified And the hand was sent from him, and this inscription was written out. And this is the inscription that was written out. Mene, Mene, Tekel, Upharsin. And this is the interpretation of the message. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found deficient. Perez, which is the singular of Eupharsin, your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and Persians. That'd be pretty hard news to take, wouldn't it? (laughs) And yet he follows through with his promise. Then Belshazzar gave the orders and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a necklace of gold around his neck and issued a proclamation concerning him that he now had authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. And that same night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was slain. So Darius the Mede received the kingdom at about the age of 62. Reminds me of a passage we read last week, James 4, 6. God is opposed to the proud. 
I mean, there's so many ways, there's so many lessons from this chapter. Um, but I, I, I truly believe that God would have me focus on the part of the story that is His message, the handwriting on the wall itself, this mysterious hand that appears and gives a message to the king. The first word is mene and uh, means numbered. Daniel interprets the word saying, God has numbered your kingdom and he put an end to it. And I think one thing that we can learn from that today is your days are numbered. You have limited time. I mean, do you get up in the morning and think, my days are numbered. I have limited time. I need to do something with this day. I mean, do we live with this constant awareness or do we have a little Belshazzar in us? He was just partying and carrying on like there would never be an end. And, uh, and you and I may not be doing that. We may not be out there every night doing that kind of thing, drinking in gold, out of gold goblets from the temple. But uh, do we sometimes live as if all that matters is what I'm doing today and the routine and the, I got to get this done and that done and... Jesus tells a parable over in Luke 12 about a man who spends his whole life amassing great wealth. And uh, one day he says to himself, I have so much money, I'm just going to quit working and just uh, eat, drink, and what? <laughs> Be merry. We could throw in and play golf <laughs> the rest of my days. Kind of sounds like retirement, doesn't it? Jesus goes on to say this about the man. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I mean, do we really know how precious, how precious our days are. Why do we spend so much time building earthly treasure? Chris Hodges, pastor in Birmingham, writes this. He says, if we lived with the truth that we have a finite amount of time, a limited number of days, then we would make better decisions. I like that. Anytime you think you have more of something than you need, you tend to waste it. Think of that for a minute. It's just the logic of human nature. If you have plenty of food in your pantry, cupboard, and fridge, it's hard to imagine being hungry. If there's lots of money in your bank account, you feel like you're always going to have enough. But when you're down to your last box of crackers or your last dollar, suddenly these things become precious. You no longer take them for granted. And when we, rec when we recognize our limitations, we tend to make the most of our lives. Think of, think of it this way. If, if, if you knew right now the date of your death, how would it change the way you live? I mean, what if the Lord came to me and said, Dave, the date of your death is September the 29th, 2020, tomorrow I would be entering my final year 
I just thought about that for a little bit, and I thought, you know, I would get to miss the election. <laughs> Amen, right? Yeah. Man. But I mean, seriously, how would I live these last 365 days? I heard of a church that went through a series of messages called 30 Days to Live. They asked people to submit how their lives would change if they knew they had just 30 more days. And they received both funny and serious responses. One, probably a teenager, I'd post fewer pics of myself on Instagram. Sorry, I didn't mean to throw you under the bus. Sorry. Another said, I will stop wasting so much time aimlessly surfing YouTube videos. <laughs> Here's one. I wouldn't get so mad waiting in line at Starbucks anymore. On the more serious side, one said, I wouldn't work any more overtime and spend more time with my kids. One said, I'd spend more time praying. I'd start putting first things first. How would your life change if you really knew you had limited time? And let me tell you, you do have limited time. Before I go on, let me just say this. Spider-Man. I was going to use it in an illustration. I chucked the illustration, but it's on the card, so I have to say it. <laughs> All right, kids. Spider-Man. Got it? Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. The next word on the wall is tekel, and the word means weighted. Daniel tells the king his life has been weighted and found deficient. And it's like the king didn't really care about all of his wickedness and the mockery that he was making of God, and uh, he was the king. No one, not even God, was going to tell him what he was going to do. So not only are your days numbered, but you are also responsible for how you spend them. And if you think about it in, in these kind of terms, it, it, no one on their deathbed wishes they would have spent more time shopping at Costco, right? Nobody, when they're facing the end, says, I wish I'd have surfed Facebook a little bit more. I'm not going to get in that movie my friend told me was so good. No, in those moments, life gets very real, eternal. Important things. That's all that matters. The world, it's stuff, just no longer attractive. It doesn't, it doesn't get your uh, attention. It just doesn't matter anymore because you see it for what it really is. It's unimportant. It's so temporary. Why am I investing there so much? And all your energy now is focused on what really matters. Our lives would be more centered in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ if we lived that way all the time. Your life needs balance because you have limited energy. 
How many of you can agree with the fact that you have limited energy? <laughs> yes. I mean, don't you think the way people live today is just insane? Are you with me? How many of you think the way people live today is just insane? We're so busy, we're so strung out, we're so stressed out, we're so addicted, and all because we have been led to believe that we need and deserve everything, and uh, so do our kids, precious children. Kids, you don't deserve or need everything. Aren't you glad you're in here today, children, right? <laughs> Amen. That's right. Our culture is addicted to stuff. People spend enormous energy on acquiring stuff, and we get so much stuff, what do we do? We rent a storage place to haul all our extra stuff to. It's insane. We also feel we're entitled to have everything and have it now, so we just pull out the credit card and will and... Uh, we're not counting the future costs. We have to have this now. We see others with the newest and the latest, and we have to keep up. So we do whatever we need to do in order to keep up with the Joneses. People will go without sleep and nutrition and rest and reflection, playing, relating, praying, and wonder why they feel so anxious, frustrated, fearful, and stressed. Can I say it again? It's insane. Another excerpt from Chris Hodges. Maybe you think you have no choice right now either. This is just how life is. And actually, you're right. This will always be how things are with the lifestyle society has convinced us we must have. It's this lifestyle that revolves around big houses, nice cars, latest designer fashions, expensive hobbies, and of course, everything our kids want. Day in and day out, the weight is crushing we all have these demands, obligations, and responsibilities to force us to spend our time in wrong ways. And folks, the American rat race is destroying individuals and it's in destroying families. I just couldn't say it any more plainer. I mean, have you ever met someone that is so unhappy because they're so busy? I'm so stressed out, I'm so unhappy, I've got to get the kids here, I've got to get the kids there, I've got to get the kids here, blah, blah, blah. It's their own fault. Can I say this in all love? It's your own fault too. If you're living the life you're, you've chosen to live, Look closely at this verse from Ecclesiastes. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. You could work less overtime and spend more time with your family, have less money, but be more at peace. Would you trade money for peace? 
Here's something I read this week. The wisdom of life consists in the elimination of non-essentials. Besides, get this, besides the noble art of getting things done, there is a nobler art of leaving things undone. How many of you have the personality that you can just leave things undone? I do. I can walk right over the pile. (laughs) Just saying. Are you willing to leave things undone in order to perhaps sit on the back porch and listen to the birds sing? Get it? Are you willing to stop all the busyness long enough to listen to the whispers of the still small voice of the Spirit of God? You're stressed, anxious, exhausted because you're out of balance. After all, what is stressed? Spelled backwards. Desserts. (laughs) Just saying, right? Just flip it. The third one on the wall, the third word is uh, eupharsin, which is the plural of Perez. And Daniel says the word means divided. It tells the king, Your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and the Persians, and your lifestyle has put you and your whole kingdom into the danger zone. It will not stand. Your enemy is camped outside the city limits, and today is the day of reckoning. And you may think that uh, this lifestyle you're living has no consequence, but it does. You may have been convinced that the worldly busyness and the stress caused by it is absolutely necessary. It's just the way it is today, but it's not. I heard someone say this, if you're burning the candle at both ends, you're not as bright as you think you are. (laughs) I think that's, that's, that's good, right? God wants our hearts undivided, completely centered in Him, centered in His His grace. Your heart is to be undivided. You have unlimited potential. And it's because your potential is not rooted in you, it's rooted in the Spirit of God. And the more you give your attention, your focus, your day to the abundant work of grace through your life, you can change the world. How many of you believe today that you, you can change the world? It's gotten real quiet right there. You know, you know the story of Dwight Moody, right? Dwight Moody, the great evangelist, he was a shoe salesman. One day he had a friend said to him, say this to him, the world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through a man who was fully and wholly consecrated to him. The world has yet to see. And Dwight Moody thought about that as he's selling shoes. And it just germinated in his spirit and uh, said, could that be me? 
think I want to see if that's me. He said, I'm not the most educated. In fact, I'm not educated really at all. And uh, I'm not all that smart. But I'm going to give myself undivided to the work of God's Spirit in my life and see what He could do through me. He became one of the greatest evangelists of his time and uh, established that Bible college in, in Chicago that has trained thousands and thousands to go out and spread the gospel. There's no telling what God can do through this life, wholly devoted, refusing the information it gets from the culture and saying, I'm with him. How do you get there? This may sound counterintuitive, but how do you get to this dynamic, power-filled life of God's grace flowing through you to impact the world? I would suggest by doing much less than you're doing. Maybe getting away. Being in solitude. Take a few days by yourself. Oh, pastor, yeah. You don't, you don't know the way things really are. I mean, you only work one day a week, right? So, right? <laughs> I'm so comforted you laughed at that, okay? Yes. I can't take a few days off to myself. There's no way. I don't have the time or the money, the kids. I, I can't rely on my husband to get them where they need to be, right? Can I say this? Yes, you can. It just doesn't matter that much to you. You don't realize that being alone with Him, letting Him nourish your soul, letting Him love on you, makes all the other stuff happen in the right way. You've just deprioritized that. Is your heart divided? God, and I, I need to, I, I kind of feel guilty because I don't spend enough time with God, but God, you understand, I got this. Danger zone. Sometimes, folks, we just need to take the bull by the horns and uh, step off this cultural treadmill and really stop living insane lives <laughs> and retreat. Maybe you just need to slow down. So is your life out of balance today? Some may say it's even out of control. Your schedule is how the world tells you your schedule is going to be. You've lost control of it. 
and you're investing so much of you, not just your time or resources, you're just investing your heart in things a thousand years from now aren't going to matter. I mean, you wouldn't say it like this, but you're living much like the king. Partying and just living it up, thinking God is down the road. You may be here today and you've, uh, you've never taken a step of faith where you've said, okay, today's the day. I've, I've, I've known about Christ dying on the cross for me and um, I've, I've kept saying someday, someday, I, I really want that for me, but I've got other things going right now and I, 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 as soon as I take care of this or we use the excuse sometimes, well, God... Uh, he doesn't want somebody like me because I have a past and uh, all of those are just, uh, they don't work <laughs> because God's not s sizing you up seeing if he wants you on his team. He wants you. <laughs> he died for you. And so perhaps today is the day where you just finally come, give in, just just turn to him and don't put it off. You're on limited time. You may be in your last days. We all may be in our last days. Jesus may be tuning up his trumpet even now. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 15, 51 says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. I say, come Lord Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I would be thrilled if this was the last service we ever had at Grace Bible Church, wouldn't you? I would. Come, blow the trumpet. Are you ready? Jesus is calling. Come, believe. Believe in me and you will be saved and take the step of faith. He's paid the price. It's done. Just believe. I want you to bow your heads with me, and as I pray, I want you to contemplate where you are with Him today. Talk to Him. Father God, in these moments of digesting the Word of the Lord and uh, knowing that life is fragile, Life is fragile. We never know when our name is called and the time is now and it's, uh, it's into eternity, Father. And so I pray that uh, each and every person that is here today, oh, I'm praying, Father God, that they would come to you and say, Lord God, 
I want you in my life. I, I, want, I believe in you for the salvation of my soul. Would you come and forgive my sin? And would you come and enter into my life? And would you secure my eternal home? I pray, Father God, before you today, would you come, Lord Jesus, I am trusting in you. And Father, I know that that simple prayer of faith, it can be prayed in their pew, it can be prayed down here at the front, it can be prayed at home, it, but Lord, I just pray today that if there's anybody here that has not come to a place of faith in you, that this is the day of their salvation as they recognize the price of the cross, the blood that was shed, that they may know huh, this eternal salvation. Father, I pray for the families here today who are stressed, who are anxious, who are fragmented. Oh, I pray, Father God, that there would be conversations between husband and wife that just say, we need to put first things first, and we're really not doing that. And we're teaching our kids more about the way the world does things than the way the Scripture tells us to do things. And uh, let's make changes. Father, I pray that uh, you would, in each of our lives, make us this living, breathing champion for the cause of the cross of Jesus Christ as we spread the news. <laughs> Father, thank you. We praise you for what you've done for us. In Christ's name we pray. Let's stand together.